another episode of The Discourse. Today we have a returning guest and longtime friend of the show, uh, as well as your boy, the main man, Chad V. Uh, Aubrey Thurston. Aubrey, you have been quite a busy bee. Wow, why am I speaking like that? No, man, I'm, you're right. I've been a busy bee and a busy beaver. All the well, above. Well, the B in busy bee stands for busy bro. You've been quite a busy bro uh, since we last spoke <laughs> Well, last year around this time, I it's been say. maybe even longer, man. It's been a minute since we since we chat. I mean, we chat regularly about I I, I pepper you with uh, fitness and nutrition questions, uh, but <laughs> we haven't talked publicly since uh, I don't know, man. It's been a long time. You haven't been on the show to clarify. Yeah, we, we, talk, we talk all the time. Not we to not to sort of break down the veil of illusion that we only speak when you're on the show. Uh, we talk all the time. But for the purpose of the show, this is our first time speaking since you debuted the comic book story of professional wrestling. It is. Yeah, man. I just kind of realized that before we went live, man. That came out in October last year. Myself and Chris Moreno um, were the co-creators of that. It's a... 170 page 170 graphic not so this bugs me but it's a non-fiction graphic novel like as stupid as that sounds because novels are fiction but um i don't know language it's funny uh it's a non-fiction graphic novel and it was exhaustively and exhaustingly researched so it covers all of wrestling from like the 1880s and the carnival days all the way up to the present and then individual chapters on wrestling in mexico japan and the united kingdom so it's a lot man and it's um it's it's been wild because it's um and this is what we'd hoped for too we wanted it to be a perennial we wanted it to be you know a reference tome there's a massive index in the back so people can you know find specific wrestlers and promotions and stuff and it's working it's been selling consistently um month over month and people are digging it so we're we're over the moon about it as you should be and everyone who wants to learn more about it can go back into the archives and check it out because we not only spoke about your new you know when it was new we not only spoke about that but you also had a great conversation about the left and more specifically the ways in which the left kind of overlap with Lovecraftian horror and more nihilistic nihilistic philosophical we had a really specific nerdy conversation it was great we're probably going to have another one because I, your new book is in its third issue as of the recording of this podcast, No One Left to Fight, which your co-creator, Fico Asio. Yep, down, down in Buenos Aires. Uh, a wonderful place to go, wonderful place to visit, wonderful place to be from. I, I guess. I've never been, man. Uh, I have to imagine, though, that it's great. I don't know. It's they, they have it's, it's in the Southern Hemisphere, which always kind of knocks me for a loop. I have a hard time wrapping my brain around the fact that it's winter there. But it's in Argentina. It's in uh, Argentina. It's a different hemisphere. It's a different part, half of this world. Which is a great place to be from if you're, you know, if you're not asking someone from Chile. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? Fico is Chilean. He's got, oh. he's, he's a, I think he's Chilean Argentinian. Nah, that must be a big deal. Or maybe I've been missing, I've been misinformed by my Chilean friends. Anyway, Do they not like each other? Is that what you're saying? I think they have a little bit of a east side, west side beef going on down there from what I've heard. It might just okay. be like, an, it might just be like anything else. You know, I, I think it's, when you live in America, you live in the, the, the west, quote unquote, it can be very easy to, I don't know, homogenize the global south and not realize that, oh, a lot of these countries have their own little historical dramas that of course. entirely, well, I don't want to say entirely are divorced from the west because that's not necessarily true but uh they have their own little dramas that are not necessarily tied into western geopolitics at, at the moment they have the, you know they have their little shit yeah i uh it's, it's funny so i picked 
Fico comes up every year for San Diego Comic Con, and I picked him up at the airport. So he flies into LA, and then I meet up with him, and then we take the train down to San Diego together. And so I I picked him up at the airport at LAX, and I live on I live on the eastern side of LA, not East LA technically. Um, it's I don't know if you're in LA, that's like a very big issue but uh on the i live on the other side of the city from lax and so i went to go pick him up and i I got him and he you know he'd been in the um he'd been traveling for like almost a full day getting up here from argentina (laughs) i was like like, well fico we got about an hour ride back to my place uh get ready because i have a list of questions about south american politics for you right now (laughs) and i i just uh interrogated that poor man about uh (laughs) about politics in South America just because it's, you know, it's tough here. Um, get You know, we, I think probably everybody listening to this podcast uh, has a healthy um, skepticism regarding mainstream media, right? But like the other side, like, I, I don't know, like, like even like leftist media here doesn't really get the full spectrum of coverage and understanding and analysis and awareness because they've got their axes to grind as well you know and like so it's it was it was really fascinating to kind of compare notes with that guy both in terms of like what mainstream media says about south america as well as kind of like what leftist um like just i don't know the leftist internet blogosphere twitter sphere kind of stuff what folks think about what's going on down there because you know boots on the ground he had a very different view of things which was kind of fascinating to me I mean, it is what it is, right? At the end of the day, we kind of live in the Americocentric culture, and it's easy to sort of transplant that onto other cultures and other sort of, and just geopolitics in general. Like, I have a hard time understanding the the scope of, or not even necessarily scope, like the depth of other countries' histories that don't necessarily that exist outside of America, that yeah. exist outside of like, and not geographically outside of America, but exist outside of American sort of purview. It's like, it's, it's, you want to not necessarily fall into the belief of like, Hey, the world, these countries only exist when they're interacting with America or when we're doing terrible things to them. It's like, that does have a huge, you know, role in their development and in their sort of that's internal the interesting, power structures, but they that, have other things going on as well. That's a great way to put it, man. Cause I was trying to, I was trying to wrap my brain around the right way to express this. So like, you know, mainstream media really depicts, um, the global South as this nightmarish hellhole where it just, <laughs> that, 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 that desperately, it's like, it's a, it's like a white man's burden narrative, right? About the global North, like being responsible for guiding the global South into, um, industrialization and modernization and all the things that those entail. Right. Um, and that's like, that's kind of like the mainstream media take on it. But then the, a lot of the leftist media take on it really positions the global South as nothing as, as victims as primarily victims. And right. It like, it's, it's an interesting thing. Like, and I never really thought about it until I started talking to him about it. Cause I was like, you know, Here's the here's like the leftist take on whatever issue we were discussing. Because we covered a, we had an hour trip back from LAX, so we covered a lot of things. And like I would say, okay, so here's the leftist take on this. Like, what what do you think about that? And most of the time, what he said was, well, you know, that's partially right, but you know, there's a lot of stuff going on down here that isn't America's fault, also, right? Like. <laughs> Like there's like there is there is some culpability and there's some like there's stuff being done by our politicians that are also awful and and our government that's doing terrible things too you know um and so it's it's interesting it's it's it was interesting it was fascinating and I 
I don't know. I ask him and his wife questions all the time about whenever there's something going on in South America, I, I immediately get on WhatsApp and ask them about it um, because it's just, you know, it's it's a much more it's a much more well-rounded view than we get. Um, list, even like just trying to like listen to both sides up here and like like collate, you know. Well, I mean, American left is still the American left, and that means that anything that is hegemonic to America is going to more or less still be hegemonic within leftist circles. And one of those things is neoconservatism. And even if you subscribe to a light version of neoconservatism, that doesn't necessarily say that we should be uh, engaging in rampant imperialism and rampant in a rampant occupation of other parts of the globe. You know, you still kind of lightly subscribe to the idea that hey, well, the the arc of history has been heavily tilted by America. And that may or may not be true. Like you said, they do know that there may be an argument to uh, towards, and there probably, there are arguments towards the idea that everything that has happened in the global South can be traced back, at least over the past, let's say 56 years can be traced back to American interference in some way. And again, that's a fair interpretation, but even if it's true, I think ultimately speaking, you don't want to a absolve local actors of their agency, or, right? You know, or exactly. Move from them. That's exactly or, what it is. Yeah. Or and and also, it's helpful to understand whether you're talking about this or any institution, really, that like what may be true from the objective standpoint is not necessarily the way people conceptualize it. Yeah. Like even if. America is entirely responsible for everything, which it is. <laughs> not for, you know, even if America is entirely responsible for all evil in the universe, at the most, you know, for the most part, people aren't going to be operating at that wavelength because there are intermediate factors that are closer to them, that mean more to them based on their ideology, that mean more to them based on their experiences, that mean more to them based on their proximity to the issue. And so you have to you know, at least be able to incorporate their worldview into your critique of whatever's happening. Hey, yeah, you know what? American overthrow, American involvement in Chilean politics over the past 50 years has led to X, Y, and Z problem. And, but also be able to incorporate a Chilean, you know, a Chilean viewpoint where it's like, hey, but here's some things that you may not be aware of that are not necessarily divorced from those issues, but you have to be able to incorporate into that analysis. If that makes any sense. No, of course it does. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, like, I think the, um, it's an interesting thing, and like it's it, it. I don't know. It's kind of like one of those lightning bolt moments, right? And like you, you use the taking away agency language, and I think that that's really apt, right? Because like we usually use that in terms of talking about like marginalized people and um, uh, P, like POC, and you know, like um, we use it in that regard, right? Like um, in this country, but it's I think it's a really useful kind of mental exercise to apply to other countries too right because it it, there is kind of this binary of like either you know you look at places in south america and you either take like the mainstream which is a very right-wing view that these places are just incapable of governing themselves right which is like the baseline assumption of a lot of like coverage of south america right um or you take the like the leftist view which is that um that America has just ruined them and like they, they could not do anything about it and everything is like everything is America's fault. And both of those views are pretty um, condescending, right? They're pretty, they're pretty, they're pretty patronizing and patriarchal as well, right? This idea that um, these countries can't do or accomplish or not accomplish anything without the direct involvement or um, permission of America, I don't know. It's, it was it was it was a really it was a really eye opening conversation for me to have. With 
it's a hard balance to strike. Not even, when, not even when you're only talking about the global south, but when you're never talking about any kind of system, you know, systems of oppression, institutions, etc. How to kind of disaggregate agency from like the larger scope of the problem? We talked about this a little bit when we were talking about the Lovecraftian nature of leftist politics. Yeah, Cthulhu's and, agency and, is, Cthulhu's is the name agency. of that episode. <laughs> oh, I think it's Lovecraftian politics. That doesn't make a difference, but the idea that like once you understand the scope of the problem, that the problem exists, you know, outside of any individual person you can pin down, that can lead to a certain amount of paralysis. Yeah. At the same time, you don't want to engage in a kind of neoliberal interpretation of politics either, where it's like everything is the result of like personal agency, the meritocracy, right. um, various other analogs for like, if you try hard and if you do the right things, you have the power to make you know certain changes not only at the personal level, but at the institutional level, because we know that to be untrue too, yeah. right? So it's hard to kind of find that balance between everything is literally the result, everything good and bad is built of America and everything, and or like people have their own ability to affect the course of history divorced from American interference, because both are true, but like not necessarily in the way people think, I guess, which is a kind of a cop-out answer. Yeah, well, no, but, it's, it's not a cop-out, man. These are complicated I mean, issues. I mean, I think that's really just what it comes down to. These are like, like there are a bazillion bazillion variables right there are there are unknown unknowns there are things that we don't we don't we, we don't quote donna rumsfeld on here but i will say no better even reminds me of the i love quoting i love quoting that because it is a um it, it's a it's a really actually it was it was an actually insightful thing that sounds profoundly stupid so i love saying it um but it's true but you know like that that stuff exists man there's there's variables that we don't know that we don't we can't wrap our brains around and um, that's, you know, I think that that's kind of like the crux of this issue is that like, you know, recognizing that you don't know shit. I think, and I think also the crux of the issue is understanding how the two interact, right? How there is overlap in this issue and that the system puts people in place and says, you know, whatever system you're talking about, what is the institution you put, you're talking about it, you know, institutions versus agency or institutions versus demands or institutions versus like whatever, or whatever you want to call them, like institutions themselves and their culture and their prerogatives that kind of exist outside of people versus like the people who navigate those institutions or those countries or those systems, you know, and understanding how how the two interact because there's been a lot of conversation regarding the idea of like agency at least in the institution of news media with the whole like the week in which we've gone by where uh, i think bernie sanders <laughs> um fucking critique jeff bezos people are like can you believe bernie's attacking the, he's free attacking press? the media like, like he he's thinks attacking. that the, he thinks that jeff bezos emails us when he wants to kill a story look how fucking stupid he's like well he doesn't believe that literally he believes that there's an entire system of you know explicit and implicit demands right. that operate at literally every level from fucking hiring to promotions to firing that either explicitly tell you what to do versus or implicitly tell you what to do now or like in an only function to put people in like places that matter where that that where they they would they feel as though what they're doing is natural right right you know i think that's like part of this conversation too where it's like it's not necessarily about being told anything it's about putting the people who already believe what you want, what you, the institution believes in positions where they can espouse those beliefs and convince other people. It's very simple. Like, you know, it's, it's a self-filtering effect a la Noam Chomsky. It's just like, it's not so, it's not so, no institution, no system, no conspiracy could work if every member at every level had to be explicitly told what to do to keep it afloat. No, like that would, that, that can't pause. Like you have to have a good mix of grifters to true believers in there who are like, hey, I know what needs to be done or i believe the things that need to be done inherently and so i'm going to do them like, well, you, like I, mean, you, I think it also like like yeah it 
it's a matter of kind of like how insidious um, 21st century cap like neoliberal capitalism is right in that it's you know no like nobody nobody in their right mind thinks that Jeff Bezos is like writing the headlines for newspapers right and like and like nobody thinks that that guy's a line editor and killing stories and stuff like that but for sure the people who report to him and the people who report to them like there's there develops a culture of and this isn't just there this is every command it was definitely true when I worked at WWE right there we were I don't know let's say I was like seven or eight steps removed from Vince McMahon uh there was still like not just residual, right? The tr- like there wasn't just trickle down fear, but like the fear like increased as it trickled down the <laughs> the bad analogy. But you know, because like the further you got you get from the seat of power, the more frightened you are of like God noticing you and smiting you, right? Like the more fearful you are of that. And so you know, by the time things got down to me, like there was a there was like a legitimate fear of like, well, listen, we know what Vince likes, we know it's gonna upset Vince, and we don't want him to look at the web. Because I worked on the website. We don't want him to look on the website and see something that upsets him. So we just cannot risk doing this stuff. And if you think that that's not happening at newspapers that are owned by Jeff Bezos, you're out of your mind. You know, like, of, of course, of, of course, there are people who sit there and like have an internal dialogue and say, listen, is covering this story in this way worth potentially losing my job or missing out on a promotion? And, and they say, well, no, it's not. And like that, I think that's the kind of that's that's the really dangerous, insidious part of all. It comes across as incredibly irresponsible and incredibly dangerous to have people in the media who are consistently talking about how like you shouldn't think money has any influence over institutions because we have a huge problem with money in politics right now. Well, so, like, a, the, dude, we have a huge. I mean, I was just thinking like the the patient zero for this problem with the media that we're talking about is the fact that it's ad supported. Right. Like that's like that's the real problem. When you, re- well, I mean, when you really dig when you really dig down into it is that media that is supported by ads, media that is subjected to the market that must succeed in the market and is inflicted with the market cannot be cannot effectively serve the role that we expect of it. Well, definitely not news media. And that's, that's the problem too, right? Yeah, that's like, right. That's why right. like news media, yeah, I mean, for sure. Like the, the, you know, the kind of elephant in the room that people don't really want to talk about because it's kind of, I, 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 from my perspective, it's because some people have a lot of friends in news media and this conversation is kind of upsetting. Whereas like the answer is, it's like the ad model of news media doesn't work. Well, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's never, and more than that, it, it's never worked. It never it's worked. never worked. Really. Never. It, like you're talking like, I don't know, man, watch fucking Deadwood, right? <laughs> <laughs> it worked. It worked. It worked well enough to get people VC money, but didn't work well enough to actually like keep the keep the institutions afloat. And now the only two viable ways to like keep your media company afloat is to be a billionaire's pet industry, a la the New Yorker or Washington or the Washington Post or any of these other sort of like more or less VC funded uh, micro projects for people, or you just be propaganda for boomers. But the issue with having this kind of like self righteous, I would say. I, let me interject. Because I don't think it's just I mean, I um, this is like one of Aubrey's bug- bugaboos, but like I don't I don't dig the I'm not huge. I mean, I, I, so like, you know, I get as resentful as anybody our age. I get as resentful of previous generations as, you know, <laughs> as you can possibly imagine. Um, but like, I don't think it's just a boomer thing. Right. I think, no, that, like, you know, I think like I think I think like the broader version of this is. You know, it's like if you're talking about like the ways that me- like a news media can like survive and um, thrive even it's, you know, it's by finding a base to be an echo chamber for. 
And I think that's as true for millennials as it is for baby boomers. I think it's as true for the for the left as it is the center and the right. And, you know, like that's that's the that's the route you need to take. You need to find your base to just kind of like preach to them and get them riled up because you need, you know, like it, it's interesting, man. I see it in the response to like a lot of the left's response to Jacobin, right? Which isn't perfect. No, no news media or magazine or website is perfect um, because I think what we should expect from these things is a multitude of views, right? Even if they have like a general thrust, like there should be things you read. Sometimes you should read things that you disagree with, right? Because it helps you examine, right? Like why you think the things that you think. Um, And, you know, I think, but I think there is an expectation in 2019 2019 from everybody that whatever it is that they're consuming, right? Whether we're talking about news media or like expanding out to, um, just like, I don't know, like move, like superhero movies and shit. Like it all has to not only fall in line with your very specific worldview, but it has to support it and also in, and uh, like congratulate you for having that worldview, right? Like that's like, it's, it's a very strange, like 2019 expectation of media. And we've now like, it's applied to news media too, a lot, I think. And that's like, if you look at something like Breitbart or something like that's how Breitbart works is they just, they know what their audience wants and they just serve that pablum up to them. And I think that there are, and I don't, I'm not saying that Jacobin is like a leftist Breitbart, right? That's not the argument I'm making here, but I think that there is something to, you know, uh, consumer expectations for how aligned the things they consume should be with their personal values, which is uh, not new, but increased in recent years. Well, so I would just say two things. The first is in comment. I made the boomer comment because I was talking about like literally like two TV because mm-hmm. only boomer, only boomers watch MSNBC and CNN and Fox News. But I get your point. I do think the generational politics has become well. I, no, it's a crutch, man. It's I'm, lazy. It's I'm, really lazy. I, I'm always going to enjoy. As like as a well, 28 year, I'm getting old now. I'm always going to enjoy a little boomer dunking, you know. But at the same time, I think that there is the danger of like what is informal, you know, informal boomer dunking amongst like millennials online in a space that is like you know more or less. I, I would imagine the Twitter, the Twitter left space, at least in terms of population, uh, skews younger, right? right? You know whatever a solidarity building experience if it alienates a few people and like i would imagine most people are in good humor it might rub some people the wrong way fine i do what i don't like about the boomer dunking is that now i've seen it become like a thing that real magazines do and real articles i'm like whoa no i was like you know not not every twitter meme or joke is suitable for like a real power analysis in like fucking like vox or vice because because for what i'm standing for and what i'm standing from like talking about the way the media self-selects people for columnist spots or staff writer spots the majority of people who can afford to like become a staff writer at a magazine are most likely coming from a a more or less privileged background and so i find i would find myself more in line probably politically with any number of like far leftist boomers or leftist boomers or center left boomers or even just like boomers who haven't coalesced around any explicit political opinion because they're just people who don't necessarily think about things all the time, but they know people shouldn't be dying in the street than I would with any, maybe probably with any mainstream article, mainstream millennial blogger writing about shit and like writing about politics and like for a digital publication, because most of them are coming from a background that I don't necessarily see as being aligned with my interests or with my experiences. And so the boomer dunking at that level becomes just like lazy, a lazy way to make our millennial publication seem like we're 
part of the solution when really we're just like the newest incarnation of the problem. It absolves millennials of responsibility. It absolves millennials of responsibility. Even if we want to, you know, get out of the whole responsibility and agency conversation, it it belies the fact that the that the system is self is self fulfilling self self replenishing. Um, yeah, replenishing. replenishing, right? Yeah. It's just like it's not as though like the millennials are going to stop being like, there's not going to be a population of racist, classist, right. elitist, shitty millennials. Right. It's not like yeah, exactly. It's not like there's no millennials working on Wall Street, right? <laughs> exactly. And so you when know? you the, when, the, when they write the, like the I hate boom articles, it comes across as just like, oh, you're trying to erase class from the issue. Yeah. Just, you're trying to you're, you're you're explicitly trying to erase class from I the think issue. That because, I think that is the I think that is really the core of what bugs me about like kind of the um the anti-boomer like like typically right like the like and i understand it's it is in very broad strokes but i think it's in such broad strokes that it erases class right it erases class from the conversation by saying oh look the boomers ruined everything the boomers did this it's like well yeah they did but it's not because they're boomers it's because they're part of the same fucking system that in 30 years you will have inadvertently ruined everything too you know i mean i agree with you i think there's two things about it too it's like you know a it also it also affirms this like nostalgic view of the of the past that reactionaries have yeah. as though like 50 years ago or 40 years ago everyone was just doing fine right. <laughs> like like it, it it sort of presupposes that this version of like the 80s and, and 70s and i guess even 90s uh was not necessarily as divided along racial and class and education lines as they are now because like there was just like there was a time in which the entire generation was doing well a la the boomers which is just not true well, and we course, just didn't hear think, about it yeah, yeah we just didn't hear about it we didn't hear about these other countries we didn't hear about yeah. fucking riots in the streets and people getting kicked out of their homes like all that stuff is going has always been going on i don't know man like i'm not like a big um I'm not a big Malcolm Gladwell guy, but I think that like one of the things that like that guy, I don't know if he still does, but like he used to harp on is this idea that like, you know, things are actually like if you if you take like a <laughs> like a human existence scale look at things, things are actually really good right now. Right. Like there's like it's not that there's not room for improvement. It's not that there aren't things that we should be upset about, but like to cast like any point in the past as some like halcyon golden age is at best myopic and ignorant and ahistorical and at worst it belies a certain type of expectation of privilege right because when you talk about how great like the 50s and 60s were you're really just talking about how great things were for middle class and up white people right in america right like that's what you're talking about you're not talking about like on a broader global scale for sure Definitely, and and my point B was that when you talk about it that way, it it, it kind of it, necessi- it necessitates the belief that like now that what makes now different than I would say 20, 30 years ago is that the alienation is more widespread, and so like it's much easier to see it affecting a population that normally that in the fifties and sixties or seventies weren't really being affected by it, and so it, it it's it it affirms this narrative about society that like you can judge you can judge the strength of a society by how well it's a feel about society and we don't talk about centrism all the time like centrism has that bugbear where like the social order is one-to-one with how they feel about it not how they're doing materially not how other people are doing materially but how like they feel about what's going on right now and so it becomes very easy to subscribe to that belief that we had that like if they're not doing okay if they don't feel like things are okay that like society has to change anyone who is going to upset their feeling of anyone's going to upset their uh uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Their sense of comfort 
is a direct threat to the entirety of, of human existence. And so, you know, it helps. It's helpful to have that kind of even looking at something as simple as like, let's say, um, uh, life expectancy, like life expectancy has been going up kind of, but even if you, but if you look at the bottom 50% of like earners, the bottom 50% of like the wealth of total growth, of people who have like, who people who, you know, households or people who exist in the bottom 50% of earners in society, like the, the life expectancy hasn't really gone up that much. We started going down for, um, yeah. for certain segments of the population in America. Yeah, it, it's going down, it's going down now, I think in our entire generation. But if you look at based on like income, (laughs) income or like other kind of demographic factors other than like society as a whole, like and of course you account for like human birth and death rates, it like it it stagnated over a while ago for like the bottom 50% of society. But, you know, this narrative of progress. It's interesting. The life expectancy thing is especially interesting metric because it's really misleading because the majority of, you know, so like over like the last. I don't know, let's say 100, 150 years, like whatever it is, um, that the life the, the, Ameri- the life expectancy rate in America has like shot up, right? Like that's true. It has. But if you if you remove from the data, um, if you if you don't look at if you don't look at if you don't look at data for like infant deaths, right? Like the infant mortality rate, if you take that out of out of the discussion, the the life expectancy hasn't really gone up at all. <laughs> like it's really just like it's, it's not that people are living longer it's really just that we figured out how to keep babies from dying so frequently like that's Only. like that's like that was the that's like the real deciding factor in like how much the birth the life expectancy has gone up it absolutely is but you know we've kind of we've kind of gotten off track i do want to talk a little bit about your comic book oh bit. we got off or track we, have we off tra- <laughs> just we, yelling at each other about just, just about yelling, data gathering for infant mortality yell, rates just yelling at each other about where institutions <laughs> end and agency begins for yeah. 30 minutes. But no, I want to talk to you about your comic book, about your graphic novel, about your fiction graphic novel. Excellent segue. No one left to fight. No, it's a terrible segue. We're going to do it anyway. That's how, that's how you got to... Sometimes you can't do it smoothly. You got to just ram it in there. You just get yeah, in your no, segue. I agree. Get I agree. Uh, no, no. Because I was going... Th- it, it's for me, personally, it's this dumb guy summer. I think that we've seen a, a wonderful barrage of media aimed entirely at dudes and bros like me. You know, you had Venom. Venom kicked it off. I loved Venom last year. John Wick 3, man. John Wick 3, just, you know, a great movie. The, the fight in the Knife Museum was perhaps the greatest achievement in cinema ever. I like um, the book fight better than that. I like the dog fight, too. It was the dog fight. fight. Was, they were all great, yeah. It was, it was great. Every, every, every fight was great. You know, you have Aquaman. You have Robert Pattinson. I watched Aquaman the other night and I fell asleep for about 30 minutes in it and I woke up. I didn't really feel like I missed anything and I actually liked it. I liked being a little confused. It was great. It was a really good way to see that movie with a little nap. It's two and a half hours long, which is too long. So a 30 minute nap in the middle of it is perfection. The, every scene in Aquaman could be taken out of Aquaman and rearranged, and you wouldn't miss anything. It, it, it has no <laughs> I real order. I got that just, impression. I liked it a lot. Like it sounds like I'm hacking on it, but I liked it a lot because it was Aqu- it was fucking fun, and it was so different from like what we ex- now ex- like. The baseline expectations has become Marvel superhero movies, Marvel Studios superhero movies, which is uh you know that's not how superhero movies need to be. That's just a style, right? Like that's the house style, and that's how they make theirs. And I liked that. Um, Aquaman was just like this different gonzo fucking thing, man. 
It was because I think Marvel superhero movies are dumb, but they're not like dumb guy dumb. They're like dumb person who thinks they're smart dumb, like that, like that Joss Whedon style of yeah. dumb, where it's just like highly verb, highly verbose teenagers. Well, they're middle like, brow. They're middle brow. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's a it's a booming industry for a reason, right? <laughs> like well, middle yeah, brow stuff, but like it's I think there's like the Marvel movies are like you know they're like Oscar they're like Oscar bait movies, right? In that they they kind of like. Um, they have like the the kind of uh, like very clear metaphor for what they're doing, and they have like this this Robert McKee approved story structure, and they have like the cinematography direction that they know works that people like, and they just kind of change the they just reskin it all the time, you know. And that's I think that's why people reacted so strongly to Black Panthers because it was like a drastic reskin of this thing that they already knew they liked. You know, it was very literal reskin of a thing. It, it was a like. literal reskin, but like, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's what that's what people liked about. Like, Black Panther was was cool, man, and I liked it. I liked it better than most of those Mar- most of the Marvel movies. Um, but like, what was coolest about it was just how different it was. It was just it was so African, you know, and it was just a different flavor. Um, I will say, yeah, no, I agree. I think that my favorite Marvel movies are the ones that do it a little bit differently, same, even yeah. if they. So, I mean, Thor three Ragnarok is the example I think of most immediately, where it just it went kind of just off the rails. Like, hey, why not just have some fun? Uh, Black Panther was pretty good. The first Guardians of the Galaxy I liked. The yeah, first think, uh the first Captain America, the period piece Captain America I liked a lot too. That's the one I liked least of the Captain oh, really? America. I liked Winter Soldier because it was basically just John Bourne um uh, uh Jason Bourne movie but with superheroes cuz it felt a little bit more like something that would be up to Captain America's speed. Yeah. No, I get it. Yeah, no, I I I uh yeah I like the, I like the Captain America movie I like Captain actually, America a whole lot but like but, go ahead not to jump back but you know having this whole conversation about comic books remind me of something that you you saying earlier about it. people feel as though their media has to represent all of their beliefs one to one and I think that you're right and I think it it goes beyond just news media and obviously beyond because you know, we it goes beyond it, it, to every kind of media where it just becomes this like this uh, eccentricity of neoliberal capitalism where. People feel as though their labor, their work, people are supplanted their, you know, because people are spending money and essentially their labor and time on things uh, and are spending more time on consuming media, they have you know, essentially either transformed from like consumers of media, cons- like actually, hey, I'm just consuming media or whatever, to like just fans of whatever media. It becomes like these weird, like, this weird brand of consumer, which I would consider, yeah. like, they're fans. It's, Everyone's a fan of everything that they do. And part of being a fan is like this weird. I think uh, it goes beyond fandom though, man. And I think about this a lot. I think it's, I mean, I think it is the end game of consumer capitalism, right? That, you know, you, it's not just that, oh, I like eating cheeseburgers. It's, oh, I'm a cheeseburger guy. I'm a cheeseburger. I'm a cheesehead. Yeah, I'm a cheesehead. Or like, you know, like, I don't know, like one of the first things we saw that happen with food wise was bacon. Remember when that was a thing when it was just like yeah. you know, people were buying shirts with stuff about bacon on it and bumper stickers and they're tweeting about bacon and putting bacon on everything. It's like you couldn't just be a guy who likes bacon. You have to be a bacon guy. Right. And like I think that that is now extended out to a lot of – um like to to I don't know to fucking everything right and like oh, yeah. like people and it's it, it's sad right I mean and I think it speaks to the alienation of capitalism that like without a community to be a part of right increasingly isolated from other people the only way you have to find and create your tribe is based on what you consume and that is 
grim. That is bleak, man. That is really, oh, no, really I mean, horrible to think about, I think. It's, no, I agree with you. And it's definitely one of those things that you, you know, think about a lot more as you talk to people. And you've realized that so many people have like more or less supplanted their egos with a variety of products. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, along with the idea of like turning people into, like you said, late stage capital turns consumers or people or just individuals or whatever into fans of a variety of products. It turns of it turns a variety of things that aren't products into fucking products as well or into things that you can be fans of. Like, you know, just even thinking about the way people have have interacted with the conversation about like free healthcare or private insurance companies in this fucking uh in like during this national debate about Medicare for all like you see people who are coming out as though like the, it's possible to be a fan of fucking like Aetna or some shit like, 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 like it's possible to be a fan of your of your you know a, be not only be a fan or be a consumer of a company of a industry that really shouldn't exist but to like supplant your ego with your consumption of that thing or with that thing itself and feel directly attacked if somebody's like hey this thing that you're doing you know is not necessarily good for you or healthy and you definitely shouldn't be like taking some sense of like uh self-importance out of it yeah it's it's upsetting, man. And you see it in everything. Like I, I definitely, you know, so I used to be really deep in the weeds in like wrestling Twitter, right? Because I did the wrestling podcast and I was really, so I was really active on wrestling Twitter to kind of promote this podcast and I did the book and all. And you see it there too, man. Like, I mean, like people who like they, they have their identity wrapped up in this specific genre of live entertainment that they watch. And like, I don't know, like I am a, I'm as big a wrestling fan as they come, but I don't, like I like other things and I, I I don't know like I it's it's a it's a strange line right to to go from being a fan and knowledgeable about and excited about a thing to then allowing your consumption of it to define who you are right and I think it's like a I think it's a thin line but it's a it's a bad one to cross man <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it's one of those lines that you, like, it's hard to it's, it's hard to say where the line exists yeah. or when this started happening because it feels like you know what were people how are people self-defining how are people making communities prior to this impulse or maybe this impulse always, always existed I think, and it's just been ramped up into, I'll tell you what I think it is man I think I mean so like this stuff has always existed right like this is the stuff we're talking about is no worse or stupider than like jocks versus nerds or whatever you know like it's it's the same thing it's the same impulse of just people trying to find their tribe right and like um like oh i'm a goth now or i'm a skater or whatever you know like whatever 90s um you know like high school signifiers like it's the same shit as that i think the difference is that because of the internet it's allowed everybody to get much more niche right like it used to be that if you were like the hardcore wrestling nerd at your high school or whatever like maybe you had like one or two other people that you could freak out about wrestling with but now with the internet you can just go on and find this community of thousands upon thousands of people who are just apeshit bananas over this stuff and it encourages you to then you know instead of i mean and this is and this is the thing right like and this, i think this touched on what we we're talking about earlier right it gives you the option of instead of finding people with who you share some things but then differ with other things about and finding a way to um come to terms with the differences and appreciate each other um not just in spite of but maybe even because of those differences it encourages you to find these to find a community that represents you one-to-one -one, which is you know it is valuable right especially for marginalized folks right like it, it, it's valuable for everybody right to have like a safe place uh, <laughs> right i know we're not, i know that like that's like language that's been co-opted is totally like 
it's a messy thing to say, but like it is, it's important to have a sanctuary, right? And somewhere where you feel like you belong. Um, but it's also important to recognize that that's not the world and that's not like these echo chambers are not indicative of, I don't know, man, am I sounding like a right wing guy right now? I kind of feel like I am. No, I mean, I think it's helpful to have like a nuanced analogy or helpful to have rather it's helpful to be able to like ramble a little bit because like it is a difficult thing to quantify or it to is. put into words because yeah. it exists in this ethereal place that it's, you know, worrying about sounding like a reactionary can be important because it means that you be yourself reflecting like hey you know is this is this uh, as nuanced a thought as i think it is yeah. or am i just like like i'm not being I'm influenced not, by i'm not making you know, a i'm not making a marketplace of the of ideas argument here well, right? I mean, like, that's, not, that's not what i'm saying but like i i do think that there is has been this tendency to look for like and and this is what we're talking about right like if you find a community like online that defines itself by not just the consumption of a specific thing but the way in which it's consumed right and like it represents and and you start to identify as that right and like you wrap your identity up in what you consume and how you consume it and how you think about it um and it's it's a really i think it's a really limiting thing i I guess that's my larger point i guess i mean i guess again there's always been intra-group uh, different disagreements over the proper way to consume any type of, you know, whatever. Uh, let me back up this way. Groups have formed around everything, right? Communities have formed about literally everything from geographical location to race to gender, you know, like, and they, like, they exist at different levels with different, like, layers and valences in terms of, like, how, you know, different intersecting concerns. And, of course, groups have always, you know, formed around affinities, too. Like, hey, groups of farmers, groups of X, Y, and Z. I think that what's different now, and even different in the age of media, is that we now have, like, not necessarily a marketplace of ideas, but, like, there's been a commodification of, like, literal disagreements. Uh, agreements and arguments right you know and i think there's like that's like that's the difference so you know prior to it places like twitter and facebook and reddit etc and i guess even maybe 4chan like there always is like existed forums right forums and bbs sure. boards and places where people who had esoteric beliefs and uh enjoyments and fucking like hobbies could get together like you know they had train conventions and shit and, and they were there's always been drama in those spaces sure uh, they, they, that's just the nature of anything and all of that drama has always been mapped onto whatever concern that space was constructed for so m- drama within mod- model train circles i'd imagine didn't just focus on like personal drama but i'm sure you had people in the model train space who would map on like which train was best or which caboose looked yeah. like x or like, or, like the proper right, the proper yeah. electricity onto like who they hated or who they didn't hate no, because like, that's what people do i think that what's different and sorry i'll let you just jump in at yeah. the finish is that like now with twitter it's like people are engaging in like these spaces in a way that is I guess maybe more akin to being in high school, right? Where it's like you like you know if you wanted to like people didn't used to stumble on the model train forum and join. People didn't stumble upon like right. the big dick forum <laughs> and like rather not the big dick problems forum and decide <laughs> to join. And well, a few people did for a lap. Like you know we're both we're mod- mod- just in case yeah. you're listening, we're both moderators. Chad and myself there. Yeah, yeah proud proud big, moderators of the product. big dick problem forum. I mean big dick problems to call for big dick solutions. <laughs> If you ask me, but no, it's like, it's like, you know, these spaces were necessarily so much as safe, but like the outgroups existed mostly in theory. They I think were you're th- right, theoretical. Man. I think that's, I think, I think you've nailed it. I, I think it's, you know, 
Yeah, this stuff has always existed, right? But it existed on model train forums. And now everybody is a member of a model train forum, right? Like that used to be that like that used to be an extreme measure that you took if you were super into model trains. Now everybody has their model train and has kind of balkanized into these things where the, like, everybody is identified. You know, like it used to it used to be a weird thing. Like you, you would describe somebody in such a way it's like, oh, that guy, that guy is really into X, Y, and Z, right? Like he's a fucking nerd and he's like, he is defined by whatever nerd, he's a Trekkie or like whatever, like whatever thing he's into. Okay. Now everybody has that. Everybody has the things that they use to define themselves. Um, and it's usually based on what, they're consuming and i think that I, I think that's really what it is is it's now everybody everybody has their model train form and additionally not and every- i think that that's i mean in my head i always like so like i'm into some really nerdy stuff right but i don't consider myself a nerd and the reason and the reason i don't cons- the reason i don't because you're a jock who's too cool for sports no 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 no, no, no. it's not it's not even that it's not even that i've been, I've been getting good shape it's it is that i strive and i struggle not to define myself by what I consume. I think that that is if you if you ask me what a nerd is, it's someone who instead of having their own identity, wraps their identity up in what they're consuming. Stuff made by other people. And it's, you know, and I enjoy, I love art. I love consuming stuff, right? <laughs> as much as everybody else, right? Music and TV and comics and books, everything. But I don't define myself as like, oh, well I am, you know, a guy who likes Baki, I that I kind of do define myself by my love of Baki. That's a bad example, uh, but, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like I, I think that that to me is what a nerd is. A nerd is somebody who um, is who can only communicate with the world through the metri- through the um, schemata of the things that they consume, right? And that's like so that when you see people using like Harry Potter to explain fucking everything, like that's why that is like like peak nerd, right? Because it, it displays an inability to understand and navigate through the world except through the stuff that has been sold to you. I mean, or except even I would say in that case is like except through like children's literature. Yeah, that's which even which worse. Bigger. And that's even worse. I mean, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I agree with you because I would even say, you know, Harry Potter, whatever, it, it, it's the inability to be able to understand, like, these things are all kind of just, like, heuristics for understanding what's going on around you. Right. And so, like, at the, you know, it's the inability to be, you know, there's obviously a spectrum of, like, nerdishness, right? You know, because, like, people get mad when I make fun of nerds, even though it's, it's all in good fun. We're all, because, you know, if my D&D jokes and various uh, calls to places with Smash Brothers with me online haven't indicated, like, I have, I have few, I have, like, interests that would be more or less in line with nerdishness, but I think that the idea of, like, supplanting your ego, supplanting your sense yeah. of self with, like, the consumption of properties and that going in line with, like, hey, we're going to not only be, we're going to turn n- normally non-commodified or uncommodifiable entities or people or actions into commodities so that you can become as fanatical about them and defensive about them as you would be about like something you identify with right something something that you would you would theoretically hold more fucking in line with your identity like race or gender or like class yeah. is a little weird right you know because you like if you want to make people upset online you should make fun of I veganism don't, i don't <laughs> first of all people, first of all i do not that is the last I thing i want to do i don't either but and i but i say a lot of shit online that you know obviously also, i don't upset. believe that like, you do you 
I follow you on Twitter. You do want to make people upset. Online. I have impulse control problems. It's not. It's not on purpose. <laughs> but like of all the crazy shit I've said online, the things that have gotten people as angrier than me than anything else has been about like making fun of anime and making fun of fucking like uh like. Not even making fun of like pointing out the the fallacy in belief that veganism or polyamory or small personal choices that you make when it pertains to like the environment or relationships or whatever are indicative of A, or rather are possible to make large systemic changes or B, indicative of an actual earnest belief in whatever particular ideology you, you know you subscribe to. I think it's very easy to like sort of um, perform, perform your way out of the idea that you could be a bigot by adopting yeah. particular like... Like identity factors while not necessarily critically engaging with your actions so like, it's, it's a complex issue right you know like they're obviously you know, they're obvious boons to fucking being able to identify with other people and like coming together in a social group i would say one of the issues with the left as it gets online is that like it believes itself not to be a social group primarily like there is this kind of weird i think resistance to the idea like hey we're this this is just a fan group and it's used for sociality purposes like first and foremost it's like everything else is kind of a backdrop to people needing like friends <laughs> to come together with over shared interests and like if you like we we do politics here but the most important thing is that like the real politics are the friends we made along the way which would sound silly but it's yeah. true no it's like you know of like course, the, the, yeah. left, the left solidarity is in, man yeah. that's like that's that is the like what you're talking about is like i yeah. don't know if it, it is it should be at the base of any working class politics and working class politics should be at the base of any leftist politics in my humble opinion you know and like like that stuff starts with solidarity absolutely it starts with being friends with your friends but again we got off track and we're i'm gonna, sorry we're, i'm we're gonna, sorry of the no, words. It's, it's you know i this is great let's talk about my book let's talk about let's 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 tell people what they should be identifying themselves as next which is a no one left to fight fan you should be left with like a no one left to fight fan i i am definitely a no one left to fight fan after reading the first three issues My which man. are now available in your hey, local is, comic book shop. so wait, when is this when is this episode is gonna air it's gonna probably come out a week after we record so okay so, so uh so issue three will not be out yet so let's not do any spoilers for issue three we're not, we're not gonna discuss i don't think the okay. the the like the narrative of the, of the book because i think that that should be experienced for itself cool i, think, I agree you know i think what speaks to me more more often than not, is that it reminds me, well, more than anything, is that in going back to the dumb guy summer, <laughs> dumb guy summer conversation about like the proliferation of like me- more lowbrow media, in my opinion, like like Crawl, lo- loved Crawl, didn't care for Midsummer, a little bit too complex, but loved Crawl, is that like your book, I think, fits into this like deconstruction of action tropes, especially as they exist within action media and comic books. At least I got a lot of uh, a lot of inspirations from like the '90s, like '90s action comic books, and like also anime action tropes. And it's like this sort of this like these deconstruction of action tropes through uh, a story that's more or less framed as like what happens when the camera stops rolling. So if you could speak to that, that'd be great. Yeah, of course. You know, like I have seen people call "No One Left to Fight" a deconstruction, and um. It's it's sticky language, right? Because like people talk about like deconstructionist and like postmodernist um, like artwork and um, stories and stuff like that, and it's they're ambiguous terms and people use them to mean a bunch of different things, right? So like when I hear deconstructionist, what I think is that you know it not only takes things apart, right? It literally deconstructs stuff, um, but it l- looks to kind of um, blow up or work at odds with the original intent of this material of the material that's being deconstructed right and like 
and I know that this is in this might very well be a very comic book centric take on deconstructivism, but it's a comic book, so I, I think that that's fair, you know. And a lot of it comes from, you know, people talk about like the quintessential deconstructivist. Uh, works in comics and they point to Watchmen and they point to Dark Knight Returns and these are books that came out in the 80s and they cast a long 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 shadow and you know what they did was they took the superhero mythos and um, genre and all the tropes and idiosyncrasies that came along with it and they pulled them apart and they but in a in a destructive manner Right. You know, like if you read Watchmen, Watchmen was really setting out to break superheroes, right, to point out everything stupid about them, to point out everything fascist and awful about them, um, to explore how um, how ridiculous like it's I don't know, like I feel the same way about Dark Knight Returns, too. There's something very disdainful about the mediums that they're de- or about the genres that are being destructed in them. And that I don't say that to um, run down those works. They are. They are magnificent works. They are high watermarks for superhero comics, for sure, to be sure. Um, but I don't think what – I mean, that's certainly not what we set out to do with No One Left to Fight, right? Um, we wear our influences on our sleeves pr- pretty proudly, right? Like, it's a Dragon Ball riff. I, it, we said that in the solicits, right, right when it got announced. We're like, look, this is our riff on Dragon Ball. If you if you dig Dragon Ball but you've always been put off by reading – um, the, man- the manga because there's like so much of it and it's black and white and it reads right to left and it's expensive like this is for you it's it's that kind of story right it's a fight comic it is a shonen specifically it's like a shonen style fight comic like dragon ball or jojo's or um one punch man or my hero academia something like that it's that but it's done in american comics format right so we take all of those genre tropes and you know ideas and kind of um approaches and pacing and things like that um but we don't aim to blow it up right like we don't aim to um pick apart that genre we rather aim to celebrate it so i think at least the intent right um was not so much a deconstructivist take it wasn't a postmodernist take but it was a modernist take Right. It was taking all this this stuff from these kind of uh, from this other genre. Right. It's still manga is still comics. Right. Um, But it's got different approaches and different pacing and different storytelling techniques and specifically fight manga. Right. Like fight manga and shonen fight manga, even more specifically, that stuff doesn't it's a genre that doesn't exist in American comics. Um, it is wildly popular in America, right? Naruto and Dragon Ball and um, One Punch Man, which I just mentioned. Um, that stuff is hugely, hugely popular. It has been for years, right? Fist of the North Star, Baki, like all this stuff falls into that kind of genre. But American comics just don't do it. Um, and so it was really our effort. It was less an effort to um, pick apart and kind of dismantle that genre than it was to ex- to use it and explore it. Does that make sense? Oh, no, it does. I mean, one of the things that I found myself thinking when I was reading the first issue, or at least, you know, you you mentioned Dragon Ball Z thing or Dragon Ball uh, thing, rather, was like, this kind of reminds me of like, uh, what if Goku just never married Chi-Chi? What if Goku never married Chi-Chi? What if he never lived that life? What if he was just like, and what if, you know, what if things just never kept going what if there was no escalation you know what i mean yeah like, like what like what if you hit that peak and you know because obviously in um 
I'm an anime expert as a black person. Uh, black, pe- black people, for whatever reason, black love people anime. love Dragon Ball. Black people love uh, Dragon Ball. They love Shonen. Black people love. I once spent like twelve. I once spent like twelve stops on a train listening to like this one dude explain to his, his his other black friend like the entire like character arc of Rock Lee from Naruto, and I was <laughs> and they were just like super. And I was like, wow. But no, and so like. It, it, the obvious, the structure of those books is like the arcs, right? Like there is arc after arc after arc, after a lot of tournament arcs, uh, yeah. and whatever you're looking at, looking at. And so, like for me, when I was when I was reading the left, no one left to fight. I got this kind of weird like instinct of hey, like, you know, what if what if after the last tournament of you know what if after Goku defeated Cell, there was no there was no other threat like it just it was just all over yeah <laughs> like, like it was just all over and he did have to like get a, a get a job he did have to like you know take care of his family he did what like, he did have to literally kind of like transition That's kind from, of, if you watch super dragon ball super he becomes like a radish farmer or a turnip yeah. farmer or something it's great yeah, <laughs> it's really it's great. But, and, then, and then gods show up and so it turns into a different thing but like yeah for a while oh, he has a little day yeah, <laughs> like a little day says Malcolm comes and he has to like literally and he has to like you know to rescue him from like the mundanity of like average life, which is like farming radish, taking care of taking care of your three kids, dude. I'm sorry, well I guess two kids at that point. Yeah, two, yeah, two kids yeah. at that point. Only, so, but one of them was out on his own. Gohan was out on his own, but Gohan had his, had his own child. But yeah, well, we're getting off it, we're getting off track. But yeah, well, man, I uh, it's we're really proud of it and we're really excited about it. And the the reception has been really great. And I've been um. I've been pretty overwhelmed by the reception to it as well because like it's it is something that I have always thought and felt with my work was that it it could speak to a larger kind of mainstream audience um, than what comic books typically go for um, and because it, there's like the realities of the comic book market it's too confusing and not really all that interesting to get into here but it has encouraged a a, a bubble and like a or like a like an echo chamber right like a lot i mean like a lot of our culture that we were talking about earlier um and you know being able to do something like no one left to fight that's so very different and pulls from these kind of sources that are wildly popular like dragon ball is really really popular but it you know it was a book that people I think like retailers and even fans didn't really know what to make of just because it was so different. Right. And it's not superhero and it's not like a horror book. And it's not like, it's not like some, like, it's not like, um, like a genre exercise that's clearly meant to be like a, a, a spec for a pilot, for a, <laughs> for a TV series that they hope gets picked up and stuff. It's very much, it's a comic. It's a, it's a fight comic. And, um, the fact that people have responded so strongly to it has been a really, um, it's been really gratifying to me, man. I did a signing yesterday and like, um, like down in San Marcos and at nowhere, nowhere games and comics. They're great. Um, they probably have some signed copies still if you're nearby and want to pick some up. Um, but I had a few people asking me like questions like about like, okay, well, Hey, what is, what does this mean? And what, what is this? What about this piece of backstory and stuff like that? And I didn't, I refused. I was a real jerk about it. I refused to tell anybody anything. And I told him, I was like, because I don't want to rob you of that. You know, like I want you to figure it out like because that's very much how this thing is designed, which is also kind of unusual. You know, I think a lot of um, a lot of comics and a lot of media just in general right now, it really seeks to grab you by the hand and drag you through this stuff instead of letting you explore it on your own. Um, and that 
that's the opposite of what we're trying to do with no one left to fight. We're tangential because it, it's, it's where, you know, I think that sometimes that we do end up not necessarily hashing out the ways in which like the like the the culture not only broad like not only broadly speaking but the culture of our particular like capitalism uh does not necessarily behoove itself to creating stuff with you know it's, it's kind of skittish sometimes surprising about like investing money in projects that don't necessarily have a direct return and and kind of being asked backwards on what they think that means you know, i mean you know what i mean where it's like okay they do these things like you said that are ostensibly supposed to have broad appeal and they do have broad appeal but for the wrong reasons when there are better blueprints for having things that have broad appeal but still but still have a, a level of like artistic not necessarily integrity but creator led creator led um vision versus like group focus group tested led vision exactly yeah yeah, yeah. i 100 agree with that man i think that that ties into what we were talking about earlier in terms of like you know it's it's one thing to say oh you know what i really love um tight taika waititi am i saying this name right yeah uh, i think it's probably right uh, i mean or, or like there's either it's right or there's no way for us to get it pro- okay, get whatever it right. that guy like i'm a really big fan of that guy's thor movie right and chris hemsworth in that movie is really great and like you know x y and z like that's real different from being like oh well i am a marvel movies fan right like once you once you become like a fan of kind of just this corporate approach right and that that's how you identify yourself then that's kind of like that's like that's the line that we were talking about earlier well, i mean that's the know? end goal too though but, but, but yeah exactly and that's what's so insidious about all this stuff is that it's 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 like companies kind of like have finally cracked the code on like oh shit we can just make everything a sports team every you know and, and yeah. absolutely everything is um, professional sports and you just choose a side and you go to town right like that's like the that's like the Snyder cut stuff right those are guys who chose the DC side of things yeah uh, unfortunately yeah but uh, that's a great that's a great point like you can just like you can just get people to like not only supplant their ego with like products or like you know whatever thing whatever they enjoy in terms of consumption but you can also get them to supplant like the the thing itself with like not the not the like direct creator or like an artistic history or or any sort of context but like with like the actual corporate overlords right and so you can say oh no you have people who who are like oh you know i'm going to cheer for the the, the like the merger of Fox and Sony because it means that the X Men will be in the next Marvel movie. That it's like wild. That, yeah. It's like it's like well they they got you guys. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's, like they, it's like if if anything has proven like the, the like the the issue with this particular phenomenon it's that that like the monopolies have convinced you that like monopolies are good because it means that you get more intermingling between particular particular uh, you know trademarks because that's what that's what they are to them. It's bananas. Like that's that's especially crazy, right? Because like the idea that like i i get the impulse to say like oh well i wish all of these characters have become part of the zeitgeist and have become part of like our cultural heritage right i wish they could all interact with each other right but the solution to that isn't okay well listen we just need to combine everything to one big company the solution is maybe fucking companies shouldn't have copyrights right of like tr- companies should not own ip made by human beings right like that's the problem right um that's like i don't know it's that that to me is a super wild thing to watch um, because I I do have such specific views on copyright and <laughs> uh, and like yeah it's 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 bizarre man. 
Well, I mean, I think, I think copyright, I, you know, in sort of like just a reductive way is like that way to get people to, uh, you know, essentially substitute the creator with the owner, right? Which is a very capitalistic practice. Like, well, that's yeah, the thing. Know. I mean, like the original intention of copyright is so that it's it's actually, you know, it's it's in keeping with leftist thought, right? It's this idea that if you create something, you should own it, right? That should be yours. And you should be able to benefit from this thing that you made, right? Um that was the original intent of copyright but as soon as you made it so companies can actually own this thing and that you know after a person because it used to be like once a person died it was like like 20 or 30 years and then it's in the public domain immediately right but then changing that to something that can then the ownership of it can then be assigned and exploited by corporations and people removed from the original creator like that's like that's the problem the problem isn't oh shit um Marvel signed bad deals and now their superheroes are at different companies. The problem is that that stuff should be in the public domain already. It should be in the public domain decades ago. And I'm sorry, but if it was in the public domain, how would I have gotten Avengers Endgame? What? <laughs> like, you know, like, I, I mean, but, that, but that's the argument, right? And, like, and that is. is like, that is like the ledger domain of Cat the Capitalist, where it's like you get people to confuse like capital for labor but that's you know, just that's just ridiculous too because man robin hood is in the public domain and we get like a new robin hood movie without fail every two years every two years there's a new robin hood movie right and that stuff is like, nobody owns that anybody can do it so like that that's i think that even that even that like which i know you were not making that argument right you were <laughs> you were paraphrasing people but even that's absurd it's ridiculous as, yeah. as, a, as a comic book fan and as like a person who likes uh, i would say a black a black person who likes anime like it, it scratched a lot of issues and like i said i've been thinking a lot about like action movies yeah. and like the like you know action movie tropes and also the existence of like meta action like you know like a meta action genre a genre of action movie or like even like you could like sort of be like a little bit vulgar like bro like bro like bro entertainment that is more self-reflective on the tropes that exist within you know within that media i think you get a lot of meta action you know you get you get a lot of meta action movies i mean i'm sorry you know you get a lot of meta horror movies like you know starting with scream and kind of you know really kind of starting with uh what, what, did scream or a new nightmare come out first doesn't make a difference i have no starting, idea yeah. it doesn't make a difference but you, you get you get very you get a little bit less meta analyses within to, you know within other texts uh rather within like other fictional pieces within the horror genre i'm thinking of like the last you know um the last action hero with arnold schwarzenegger which is a, a classic movie or something like um the fist was it the the foot fist method foot fist way yeah that was a good the one the, the foot thing. so i mean I, I kind of situate your piece within the conversation of like well you know here is a text not necessarily de deconstructing but aware of the existence of other action stuff of the action genre of course in a way that it, it reflects on to build its own narrative the most important part is what you said at the end which is trying to build your own narrative and that's what we've done right like we we took everything we liked about um kind of like it's not a pastiche it's not a parody. It's not even an homage. It is using – it's working within a genre the same way that, you know, like Deadwood works within the um, the Western genre, right? Like both using and riffing off of everything from, you know, Bonanza to Monument Valley movies to Sergio Leone movies, you know, like – it's aware of this stuff, but it's not shackled by them. If that yeah, makes sense, and also it has an affection for it. I think I think that when you mentioned Dark Knight Rises and also some of the other stuff that took that, that took place during like the Dark Age of comic books, it shows a lack of effect. I mean, it shows like 
it shows a lack of affection in his criticism. Well, it's yeah, like, I mean, it's I mean, and to put it in context, though, you know, these were guys, Frank Miller and Alan Moore, who were really and Dave, um, Dave Gibbons, of course, who, who drew, um, who was co-creator of Watchmen. Um, these guys were brilliant storytellers, and they felt confined and boxed in because in 1983, the, if you wanted to do comics in America, you had to do superheroes. That's all you could do. That was the only option. And we're fortunate now that that's not the case anymore, that we can work in all these different genres and and find an audience for it. But at the time, it was only superheroes. So those guys were – those guys told those stories from a sense of frustration that they had to find a way – You know, they wanted to do these complex themes and ideas and, um, and explore different stuff, but they had to find a way to do it within superheroes, right? And so like if the, those books read as um, – disdainful or you know aggressively like blowing up superheroes it's not because those guys hated superheroes although they, they probably got to that point right but it's because they were frustrated by having the by by a, a dearth of options for they how were to frustrated create. by the the editorial demands of the mar of the time yeah for that sure mean, i mean not just the editorial demands but the market demands you know when we talk about like late 80s early 90s aesthetic there's like an there's an earnestness to it that's been lost right you know like it's and you see people you know like people will latch on to like a goofy like 80s or early 90s aesthetic and it's always at like an ironic distance right when people use these things and i think that with no one left like the aesthetic of no one left to fight like it does have that kind of like day glow hyper color vibe to it um but it's not used as a joke it's not used as a gag and like nobody's like pointing and laughing at it this is just what the world looks like and because we we love that stuff, man. That's an aesthetic that we adore. No, I agree. And I think, you know, like when those those comic books were made, I think what makes, you know, the, the earnestness in them, like, hey, this is this is what being cool is. Like having Spider-Man dressed in like a oh, hoodie I loved, with no I loved with the uh, Scarlet Spider. I loved him. Yeah, like, like it's just like that. Like, and I, I mean, it still is cool to me. But like, when you do coolness, like at the time, earnestly, like you're you're consigning yourself to being like uncool sixty years later, right? It's like it's like it's like anything. It's like, you know, it's the only analogy I can make would be like if you try to make something look cool now, it's like trying to like more or less design tech. What do you think the technology of the future is going to look think like? That's, you know what? Right I disagree. Now. I don't it's think like, that's true. Like, I think it's just a matter of distance, right? Like. I think like a perfect and I'm a little bit older than you are, right? But I think like a perfect example is like paint like jean fits and styles, right? Like it used to be that there was nothing goofier and sillier than wearing like slim jeans, right? That's like what weird nerds and dads did. And then that became the thing that everybody did. And but still, you know, you wouldn't wear tapered jeans. Tapered jeans, like that's for dads, right? That's like an old fashioned type thing. And now I don't know, everybody's doing like tapered, like relaxed fit jeans again, right? Like I think it's I, I really do think it's just a matter of having the appropriate distance. Oh no, I agree. I mean I think that like generally speaking, like there's always going to be that like that level of like cyclical fashion and style. You know, I mean I think that's the good thing about history that you can kind of like oh you know you can uh what's the word you can sift out the things that didn't work and like hey you know what? actually right. this was cool when you get enough distance like hey this actually is cool i do think though when it comes to, like cultural trends it's important to like understand that some things are just always going to be mediated by the time that they take place in and it's just like you know the things that were popular in the 80s were popular in the 80s for a particular reason and 
in understanding why they're popular now, either we have to engage with like the resurgence of a nostalgic view of time. I, I think Stranger Things, I, I remember really liking the first season of Stranger Things and like the second season was kind of like meh and then like I'm just not really interested in the third. But like I remember wondering if like Stranger Things and the nostalgia that it invokes in, you know, either depending on where you stand on the issue purposely or accidentally just by being a period piece and invoking its viewers was the result of like or rather its success was the result of just like a literal longing for the past people were feeling at the time because like right now really does like you know post Trump everyone was looking to escape one way or another or if they were if there was something actually appealing about like the particulars of the the setting itself I think you know it's, it's both end probably when it comes to all these things like there is like there it, you know style fashion culture it's a conversation that's built on each itself right so like the things that are popular that were popular in the 80s are, that are popular now uh like you know you have to put kind of put that into conversation with like the cultural with its own history but also where we are like right now i think if that makes any sense where it's like you know like why like why is there this resurgence of not necessarily pant fits i don't know well, i guess i mean if we're talking about like why is there a resurgence of pants fits like i would say that that's to do with like expanding gender roles but like you know back in the day it meant something else and back now i mean it means something else but you can still index what it meant back then to sort of give it sort of you know a new it's a synthesis of meanings yeah, if sure. that makes any sense we do man i have i have an issue of no one left to fight to go finish writing you do so but so why don't you you know essentially sign us off by telling people where they can keep up with your work where they can buy your book and of course i'm gonna link you know of course yeah man uh so i'm aubrey my name is aubrey citterson it's a-u-b-r-e-y-s-i-t-t-e-r-s-o-n that is my handle on twitter it's my handle on instagram if you search for it on facebook you'll find me there uh and i've got aubreycitterson.com um so it's there aren't other aubrey citterson's running around i'm very easy to google so you know come find me uh, i'm most active on twitter um if you're looking for the comic book story of professional wrestling it is available everywhere it's a big old graphic novel it is available in comic book shops um they can order it for you if they don't have it it's available in bookstores same deal they can order it for you and you know i know um i know we, we spent a lot of this podcast hacking on jeff bezos uh but the fact is a lot of people in this country live places where they aren't they don't have ready access for whatever reason to um uh to comic book shops and bookstores so if you want to order comic book story professional wrestling online it's available on all online booksellers and stuff too so and 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 Chad and I will not judge you for for ordering it from them. I'm not going to judge anybody from buying things off Amazon. You have to. I buy things on Amazon. You have to. When I have to, I I do think that it's just incredibly irresponsible and dangerous and like more of an issue of like ego and class anxiety to like to like even implicitly argue that money flowing into your institution of news media from a billionaire doesn't affect that institution at all. I think that's incredibly dangerous. Not only is it incredibly dangerous because like it, it the the implication is that like oh well then maybe him giving money to right. a politician doesn't matter either right like, like like but also because it opens up this again this, this other avenue for critique of the far right a la people like Tucker Carlson who will say oh well if if Democrats in like the liberal media establishment don't think it's worthwhile to criticize billionaires for running organize, media organizations right. then I'll do it I'll critic I'll provide a critique and all that's going to do is you know again weapon allow the far right to weaponize uh, the silence of the center left in order to either peel off their support or like essentially depress their support. But like, you know, I'm not looking forward to Tucker Carlson coming on the air in a fucking week and going like, did you know that the thought, you know, that a liberal Democrat aligned fucking um, columnist don't think that 
having a billionaire own your magazine, like uh, you know, your publication affects the coverage. Like, that, but also, that, that but also, itself. even though again, Fox News is but also <laughs> your consumer choice, your individual consumer choices don't matter. And the idea that they do is they a don't. neoliberal con in order to get you to not blame the actual corporations whose choices do matter and place that responsibility on you. So buy it from Amazon if you want to. Uh, and in fact, use my affiliate link so I get so I get my beak wet twice on it. <laughs> How about that? Uh, we will. I yeah, man, do it. Uh, the, and uh, uh, if you want No One Left to Fight, No One Left to Fight is coming out monthly right now from Dark Horse Comics. Issue three is out the first week in September. Uh, issue number one sold out in a couple days, but they sent it back for a second printing. Um, issue number two is available. Uh, ask your local comic book shop. Um, for it and ask them to order it if they don't already if they don't already have it on the shelves tell them you need it tell them it's the comic you always wanted it's right there on the cover no one left to fight by me and fico osseo uh, and if you want to read that digitally it's available digitally as well you can read it on your tablet I mean, you can get it directly through dark horse on their website like through their app or again you can get it through comiXology which is owned by amazon and no one will judge you because your individual consumer if you take nothing else away from my appearance on the discourse it's that your individual consumer choices do not matter how about that Look your local local comic book shop owner in the eye and tell them that you will literally die. If you do that, that's the second thing you should take. You should threaten death in someone's store. Not someone else's death. Your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not suicide either, but just dying from lack of no one left to fight. So thank you all for joining us. Dude, thanks for having me. It was a blast, as always. I hope everyone else enjoyed listening to us ramble on about nonsense as much as we Like you know who I am when I fly through the land, that's some courtesy Don't hurry me, I'm so serene on the scene If I leave, that's gon' breed an emergency That's urgency, hurting me, certainly working I flirt with this weed till they bury me Absurd in me, I'm still clean of the dirt But still got the devil trying to flurry me But currently I didn't get in this position I'm in just for niggas to worry me I been in this shit for a bit Till I gotta let you niggas get word of me I stick in this bitch for the permanent All till I'm stuck in infirmary Cause trust ain't nothing but a word You niggas still on verge of a perjury Yeah, huh? yeah so I stepped into a check with a blessing. Now the question is, what should I invest in? Crept in with a weapon. I'm a best friend. Hold your breath, man, before you be a dead man. Flexing like I'm wrestling. Bitch, I'm destined. Getting money because I'm working like a mess can. Best dressed nigga in the West. With a lot of charm and a little finesse. Got my green boogers hanging off of my neck. Got a couple women trying to ruin the rep. I give every rumor 20 seconds or less. Made a couple million. I ain't done yet. Ay, I feel like Denzel. I feel like Denzel. About to face time on my pen pal. Light up that weed and I inhale. Chuckin' through it for a while now, finna wild out till they let a nigga chow down. Hope I don't foul out, still run wild through the city with a ticket like Bow Wow. Never did doubt, but my route got me seeing that the cloud is what all y'all about now. Better get it foul now when I pop style, laying everything down. Better have that white towel waving. Niggas better come at me with down payments. Little nigga ducking like Cal Cambridge. One punch me and get your town vanquished. And I ain't gotta dodge for attention. I ain't no facade, I be living my ride to the finish. So high like the sky ain't the limit. I don't even ride with the ceiling, blood red eyes, feeling like divine intervention. Oh God.